Hey, how you guys doing? Yeah, all right. Good to see you guys. We are wrapping up our uh, series today and, and next week, uh, kind of tying up some loose ends here in the book of John. We have actually been in the book of John, this series called That You May Believe. We've been in that series since last February, uh, and we took some breaks throughout, but we're, we're wrapping it up here. And we're talking about what happens after the resurrection, because last week we talked about the resurrection uh, at Great Easter topic. It worked out again this year that we talked about that on Easter. And uh, we want to talk about some of the people who saw it afterwards, saw Jesus risen from the dead, and, and kind of that whole thing, the effects of them today. Because you may, you may have come in here and you're like, someone rose from the dead, that's a little hard to believe. Uh, and that's hard to believe for us thousands of years later. It was also hard for the people there in that moment to believe. They were like, okay, this is weird, and did this really happen? And so... Uh, we're going to look at some of the effects of, of that resurrection. The first one that's talked about in the book of John that we've been studying through is a, a friend of Jesus' name, Mary Magdalene, and she has this encounter with Jesus resurrected, and she doesn't recognize him, uh, which is weird to me a little bit, but also, you know, you know when you see people out of context, you know, like you know somebody from the thing, and then you're over at some other thing, and you see that person, and you're like, I did, oh, I didn't recognize them because I'm used to seeing them at the PTA or whatever it is, you know. Uh, maybe it was that kind of situation, but for whatever reason, Mary Magdalene just doesn't quite get it, and then she does. She's like, okay, it's, it's Jesus. Uh, and then Jesus appears to his other disciples, and I, I want you to, I want you to see, see this. Uh, in John, uh, we're going to be reading John chapter 20. We'll jump in sort of post-resurrection here, starting with verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. All right, a couple things. The disciples that Jesus' closest followers, there's uh, 10 of them at this point. There were 12. Judas betrayed Jesus. He's out. And then Thomas, you'll find out here in a few verses, Thomas isn't in the room either. So there's 10 disciples that are in the room. And there's a couple details John gives us. One, that the, uh, it's evening, the week that Jesus rose from the dead. And, and secondly, that they were, the doors were locked because they were afraid. This is an important detail, I think, because a lot of people want to say, hey, Jesus didn't uh, rise from the dead. In fact, what happened was his disciples stole the body to make it look like he rose from the dead. But any account from that time doesn't show that. In fact, it's the opposite. The disciples are not like, hey, let's go steal the body. The disciples are terrified. They're afraid. They're locked up in a room and for fear of the Jews. They just saw the Jews push to have Jesus crucified with the, with the work of the Romans. He saw them do it all together. And they're like, wait, uh, we're with Jesus. He was just crucified. They're going to do that to us. We're going to be guilty by association. Like, we need to do something because this is not okay. And so they get in a room together, and they're scared, and they have the doors locked. And somehow, Jesus shows up in the room. It doesn't tell us how. It, it seems like he sort of ghosted in there. But Jesus appears, um, and, and when he shows up, he says, peace be with you. Because he knows they're afraid. He knows what that's like. He, he knows that they're just freaking out about it. And when Jesus shows up, he brings peace. And they needed that, and I think we still need that today because there are moments where we freak out. I, I, I freak out. Do you guys freak out? In fact, sometimes we'll use this phrase in, in my house, uh, we froke out. Uh, and I, I actually looked it up on Urban Dictionary. This is the thing. You can froke out. It's the incorrect past tense usage of freak out. So, so uh, there have been times when I froke out. Um, 
And, um, and for me, uh, the, I sort of play these scenarios in my head, and maybe you've done this as well, where you kind of let your fears kind of run you and, and take you to your, this bad place. And for me, it's like, oh, if that happens, then I'll lose my job. And if I lose my job, I won't get paid. And if I won't get paid, we're not going to be able to eat. And if we can't eat, we're, you know, we're also going to lose our house. And, you know, it, yeah, this scenario kind of plays out in my head that always ends with me and my children living in cardboard boxes or in shopping carts on the street uh, and me dying, okay, at the end. Now, maybe I'm just morbid, but it's always like, and then, like, all these things are going to happen, and then I'm going to die. Um, and, and, and I don't know if you ever do that, but I just play these scenarios out, and I you freak out. Oh, oh I'm going to die. And, and the interesting thing about the resurrection is, because these disciples are literally thinking, like, oh, we may die because of what just happened. This is, this is bad. This is a rough scene. Um, when Jesus shows up, because of his resurrection, he takes death even off the table. It's like, what, what's the worst that could happen to you? You could die. I will take care of that also. Death is now off the table. That's why you see writers like Paul and others in the New Testament being like, who cares? You know, death can't. Death's got nothing over me. I could die, and that, that'll be fine too, because I'll be with Jesus. And so the, the, there's a great power in, in the resurrection, and it brings us peace. Not just peace of like, when I die, I will be in heaven one day, but it brings peace uh, in the here and, and, and now. So they're freaking out, and they're not going to believe what they see when Jesus shows up. And so he offers them some proof. Look at uh, verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus shows up, they're freaking out, and he says, look at, look at my hands, look at where the nail went in when I was hung on the cross. Look at the area in my side where they shoved a spear in me. You can see the marks from where that was. He gives them physical, just visible evidence that it really is him, because they're like, who is this guy? And it's like, no, it really is me. Take a look at this stuff, and gives them this proof. And they go from freaking out to being glad, like pretty quickly, within one verse, you can imagine the emotional roller coaster that they're on and the tension of the moment, but they're very upset, and then suddenly they're elated because they realize, oh, this really is Jesus. Verse 21, let's keep going. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Okay, a couple things going on there. First of all, you need to understand that Jesus is giving these apostles uh, like a commissioning ceremony. He's saying to them, look, God sent me here, and I did my thing. Now I'm sending you out to tell people about it, to spread the message, to spread the gospel. Uh, I've done my part, and now I'm sending you. And it says... He breathed on them, which I read that. I'm like, that's weird. What does it mean he breathed on them? Well, it's a, apparently it's an idiomatic phrase that you would use to, it basically means he encouraged them. It's a, it's a way they would say in that culture that he encouraged them. So he encouraged them, says receive the Holy Spirit. Not that they're getting it right there on the spot. They will receive it. In Acts chapter 2, at the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them. And then he says this thing about forgiveness, which is a little weird. But it's basically this. Jesus died, he rose from the dead, um, and, and all of what's happening there when Jesus dies for our sins, what's going on there is God is making Jesus pay for the, your sins and mine and is forgiving us. So Jesus makes that connection and says, hey, as you go out and spread the gospel, as you're telling people about me, you're bringing forgiveness to these people. You're, you're letting them know that they've been reconciled with God and that God has made a way for them to be made right again and to be in a relationship 
with, with him. So that's, that's what's going on there. Uh, there's a lot more to say about forgiveness. Um, I'm doing an entire sermon on that the last week of June. And it's a huge topic. Uh, I don't have time to get into it today. But we're starting a series June 4th called Rewrite the Future. And um, really excited about it. And there's a lot there. So forgiveness is something, not only forgiveness from God, but you forgiving others. If that's, a, if that's been a struggle for you, you want to be here for that series um, that we're starting June, June 4th. So, um, so while this is going on, there's two people that are not in the room. Judas because he betrayed Jesus and hung himself. And then Thomas also is not in the room, okay? And, and John lets us know this. Look at verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hand, in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Don't you hate it when you're the last person to know something, right? Like, Thomas wasn't in the room when this happened, and he's like, hey, guys, and it's awkward, too. Like, they all got together without him, you know, and they didn't have text messages. I'm sure he saw them later. He's like, why didn't you guys call me? Why couldn't I be? I'm cool, too, guys. You know, like, so whatever. Whatever reason, he's not in the room, and they see him, and they're like, dude, we saw Jesus back from the dead. And Thomas is like, uh-uh. And they're like, uh-huh. And, 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 they, and here we saw, you know, he was standing there. And Thomas says, look, unless I can put my fingers in, in those holes in his hands that I saw him get crucified or touch the side where the spear went in, uh, I'm not going to believe it. He, in fact, he says, I will never believe. Not I can't believe. He says, I never will. We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that later. But this is where Thomas gets the reputation. A lot of people are probably preaching this story today all over the world. This is where Thomas gets the reputation of being doubting Thomas. Oh, he's got his doubts. But I think that's really unfair to the guy. Like throughout history, preachers have called him doubting Thomas. Oh, don't be a doubting Thomas, like we said to people. You know, the things you don't want to be. A Judas is bad. And a doubting Thomas, you don't want to be that either. And I think it's really unfair of the guy. I, I think... Could we rename him from this day forward? Can he be perfectly reasonable request, Thomas? Could he, I just need a little more evidence, Thomas. You know, uh, I'm a man of science and I'm not going to believe it until I see it, Thomas. I mean, I think those are all good names for him because all he's asking for is what they already got. They got to see Jesus and touch the side and the nails and the whole bit. And he's like, I, I need to see that. And I, I think that's a reasonable request. And I, and I think he is... I think Thomas is how so many of us would be. You're not going to believe that. You're not going to believe it. someone told you. You're going to be like, yeah, I've got to, I'm pretty much going to have to see that for myself. You told me someone was dead and now they're not dead. Uh, no. And then he says, I won't believe it. I'll never believe unless I can see this. We'll come back to that. Verse 26. Um, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Once again, Jesus shows up, and what does he bring? He brings peace and, and, and comfort to the other guy in the room who's still unsure about this whole thing. He shows up in a very similar way, and he appears to Thomas. Now, 
Here's the question. Why is this story even in the Bible? If you think about it, why would John include this? John doesn't write everything Jesus ever did. He picks and chooses his stories. And he put this in there. He put this like Jesus appeared to the apostles and then Jesus appears again to the one apostle who didn't happen to be in the room. On the one hand, you could say, well, that's just what happened. So he's just recording it accurately, historically. And that's true, but he's choosing the stories that he's going to put in there. And he chose this. Um, Why is it here? I, I think what John is doing is he's showing us how special the apostles are. They are called um, the, the sent out ones. They're going to send the message of Christ. He's showing them the commissioning service that Jesus gives to them. And he's pointing out that apostles, and you see this in other places in the New Testament as well, the apostles, to be an apostle, you had to be a witness to the resurrection of Christ. You had to have seen him alive again. And Thomas hasn't had that. So to kind of loop him in on the thing, Thomas needs to see, as an apostle, he needs to see um, Jesus back from from the dead. And that, that, that's why um, modern day, I mean, this is maybe a little sidebar here, but modern day when someone says in America or in the West or whatever, when people are like, this guy's an apostle. Like today, I'm like, no, they're not. Like, that's not a thing. Like those people were because they saw Jesus resurrected from the dead in bodily form. Um, but that's not today. I mean, you have people that are entrepreneurial and, and people who are maybe at a, like an apostolic gifting in, in, in the sense that they're like startup, um, go-getter, start new movement kind of people, whatever. There may be some of that, but as far as the role of an apostle, you had to have seen Jesus resurrected from the dead, you know, an eyewitness to that. Um, so why do you think it matters? Why, why do you think um, Thomas had to see that? I mean, it's like, so what? Well, here's, here's the thing. The reason Thomas needed to see it and the reason the other disciples needed to see it is that the resurrection of Jesus is not an interesting sidebar to Christianity. It is the thing. The death and resurrection is the heart of the thing. If, if the heart of Christianity was the golden rule, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, or it was any of the nice things Jesus said or any of his teachings or any of his parables or any of that kind of stuff. If that was the heart of it, you don't need to witness the resurrection. It doesn't matter that much. You can go teach the nice things. That's not the heart of it. And this is what I think modern, secular, sort of liberal America or the West, this is what we, we, we miss about Christianity. We just don't get it. We say, oh, Christianity, um, that's Jesus, right? Yeah, he, he taught some nice things. Just like, you know, Gandhi did and the Buddha and all the, like, he taught nice things and aren't those great? And we teach children to do unto others and we, you know, in kindergarten, like, that's good stuff. And we think the heart of Christianity is these nice teachings Jesus gave. And it's not. Nice teachings without the death and resurrection is an impotent Christianity. It has no power in it whatsoever. The, the, the truth of Christianity, the life-changing thing for these, for these folks was not the golden rule. It wasn't a couple instructions about how to pray better. The life-changing thing was the resurrection. That is the heart of the message, and that's what changes hearts and minds. Jesus wasn't just some nice hippie who wore sandals and told us to be good to poor people. It wasn't like that. The resurrection was really the thing. And, and, and honestly, this is a temptation for me as a, as a preacher in a church in the city it's a temptation for me to say, hey, um, Richmond's in trouble, and Jesus wants us to make it better, period. And I think, I think that's true. I, I, I think Richmond has some issues. 
And I think uh, we are called as followers of Jesus to, to seek the welfare of the city that we're in, to, to make this a better place, to love beyond reason like we talk about here in the city. But, but I say it's a temptation. It's, the temptation is to make it only about that. Because if I say, hey, uh, the abortion rate high is, is high and the divorces and, and single, single parent households and there's some challenges there and we need to help... Um, marriages and we need to there's systemic racism in the city and we need to work on that and there's these issues all over the city and the school board and, and the budget and and there's injustices and 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 I could say all of that and there's a lot of people in our church that are like social justice warriors and they're going to love that stuff and eat that up and I could say it and I would like to say it because you'd like to hear it and it would be like this is great you you make me feel better about me or something like that and we could have this thing going on and I will preach about those things in fact in May I'm going to talk about a lot of that stuff So it's not like I will never talk about it. I just want to tell you that the main thing is not that. The church is not an extension of DSS or an extension of the Richmond Chamber of Commerce. Jesus didn't die on a cross so that we would open soup kitchens. Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin, the broken, ugly, messy stuff that's inside us. He died to pay for that and make us right between us and God. That's the heart of the thing. We will do the other stuff for sure. But the heart of the thing is the death and burial and resurrection of, for Christ, of Christ, where he made a way for us to be with him in eternity. So Thomas needed to see that. He needed to see that resurrection. So he has this encounter with Jesus, Thomas does, and he gets to see it. And his response is, when he sees Jesus and he, he sees the, nails in, the nail marks in his hands and his side, Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Now understand this. If you're a Jew and you call a person God, it's like the worst blasphemy ever. Um, and that would be true for, with Orthodox Jews today. That's true in Islam today. If you were to call Jesus God, that's like a terrible blasphemy. And Jesus doesn't go, oh, no, no, don't call me God. Only God the Father is God. I'm just like a good prophet or something like that, or I'm a nice teacher. He doesn't say that. In fact, look at how Jesus responds to Thomas. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I love this verse, and I think I love it kind of selfishly. I love this verse because Jesus is talking about you and me. He's talking about us. And he's like, okay, Thomas, you got visible, physical proof that I came back from the dead, and that's cool. Now you've believed. But man, more, there will be people who are more blessed who don't get to get that, who don't get to, to see it. And that's weird because, you know, have you ever done that thing where it's like, if you could go back in time, who would you like to meet? You know, you do that question, maybe in an icebreaker or something. Who's a historical person you'd like to meet and sit down and talk with? It's an interesting question, except in church, we all say Jesus, so it's not as interesting a question. Um, oh, yeah, I'd like to see Jesus. And then you go, oh, man, this would be cool. Could I see Jesus risen from the dead? That would be amazing. That would, like, solidify my faith, and I wouldn't doubt anymore, and I wouldn't have any struggles because I would just believe that that dude rose from the dead. I could see it. Wouldn't that be awesome? And Jesus is like, nah. In fact, Chris... 2,000 years later and 6,000 miles away, you're better off than what Thomas gets. How could that be true? Well, it's because I have to live by a, a level of faith that Thomas doesn't have to have. I haven't seen it. I wasn't there. And God always, always rewards faith because it's, it's, a, it's a symbol of a relationship 
When you're in a rela- when you believe a proposition like it's a religion, that's one thing. But when you are in a relationship, relationships require faith, not just in God. Relationships require faith in your coworkers, in your friends at school, in your spouse, in your boyfriend, in your girlfriend. You have to have some level of faith. That's how relationships work. And God says, man, there's a greater level of faith for the people who aren't going to get the proof that Thomas gets. Now, faith is tough because you're gonna, if you're a skeptical person, you're going to say, Chris, I would have faith. I would believe, in fact, in Jesus, but here's the problem. I don't have enough facts. There's just not enough evidence, not enough proof for the story you're telling me today. The resurrection last week, what you're telling me today, not enough proof, and I just can't believe in it. But here's the truth. Belief or disbelief is a choice. It's a choice. And so I want to challenge you like Jesus challenged Thomas. Because Jesus looks at Thomas and says, here's your physical proof. And he says, don't disbelieve. In fact, believe. He says to Thomas, you believe in this now that you've, now that you've seen it. And in our most cynical moments, we think, oh no, you just believe when you get all the facts. Once I have enough facts, then I will believe. And if all of us were that way, Jesus wouldn't have to challenge Thomas to believe. He just gave him enough facts. But Jesus knows something about us, that our belief or disbelief is a choice. We think, um, if I have enough facts, I'll believe it, but that's actually not true. We believe things that aren't true all the time, and, and there are uh, things that are true that we don't believe, right? Six percent of Americans believe in unicorns. That's, you laugh. There's people in this room, guys. <laughs> Run the numbers. There's <laughs> like a dozen of you right now. You're like, oh, totally. I mean, and I'm not talking about the Frappuccino. I mean, like, unicorns. 36% of people in this country believe in UFOs. There's no proof of that, but we believe in it, right? Well, there's that hangar, <coughs> Area 10. No, it's Area 51. Uh, we, people get that all the time. Area 51 in New Mexico. I, I, it's not that I haven't heard that joke before, guys. Uh, there's, you know, we believe in things without proof. And you're like, oh, but my cousin got sucked up into the tractor beam of the UFO. Whatever. Okay, but... We believe in things that aren't true all the time, and we don't know. Uh, so belief or disbelief is a choice, and it's not just like we all get enough facts and then we believe. There's more going on there. Have you ever had a political disagreement with someone? You ever, let me give you one. Climate change. You want to talk about that for a sec? No, we do not. <laughs> do not want to talk about that for a sec. I'll, 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 go, I'll go super neutral on this one. Just think of it this way. There are people that believe that the climate on earth is changing and that mankind is the reason for that change. There are also people who believe that the climate on earth is changing and mankind is not the significant reason for that change. One of those is wrong and they both really believe it, okay? Like, they actually both can't be true. So someone there is believing something that isn't true, but they believe it strongly, right? No matter what you say in what Huffington Post article you post that got you so woke and now you know, like, I don't know, like, a, no matter what you post or what you think there, um, you, you're going to strongly believe. Believe or disbelief is a choice. I mean, you do this, I do this. You decide what you think about something, then you go around and you gather the facts to back up what you already think. And there's plenty of articles out there for you to, to affirm what you believe or, or uh, what, you, what you don't believe. And so Thomas's challenge from Jesus is, look, believe this. And my challenge to you is, Jesus died and rose again. Believe that. That is your choice, to believe it or not. But don't lie to yourself and others and say, I can't believe. It's not that you can't believe. 
It's just that you won't. Why won't you? If you're skeptical of the whole thing, why won't you believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead? I think the reality is it's not because there's not enough evidence and information and facts and history and books written about it and whatever. It's not those things. There's a lot of that stuff out there that you can go look up. The reality for most of us, why we don't believe in Jesus or his life and death and resurrection, the whole thing, is because we don't want to. And there's reasons for that. We don't want to because if it's true, then God may have a say on my life, and I don't like that. I don't like to be under authority God may not like some of the things I'm doing and might challenge me, and I certainly don't want to get into that. I, I try to hide my sins from everyone else, and if God is real and true, then he knows my sins, and I'm really uncomfortable with that. All sorts of reasons that have nothing to do with the facts. They have everything to do with how we feel about it. Those are reasons why we, we don't um, believe in God. We, we decide what we want to believe and then we go gather the facts. I'm going to talk a lot more about that in that Rewrite the Future series that we're going to start at the beginning of June. So let's finish this up. We'll finish this chapter, and then we're done. Uh, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is how he titled this whole series, That You May Believe, comes from that verse right there. John says, look, I mean, the reality of the book of John is it only records about 21 days of Jesus' life. And he, he did ministry publicly for three and a half years and lived for like 33 years. So um, there's not, this is very selective. And John tells you that right up front. He says, I have an agenda. This is why I wrote this down. I want you to believe and not only believe in Jesus, but that you will have life in his name. And understand when John writes this down, he's an old man. He's lived in Ephesus in, in Western Turkey. He's been in Patmos uh, off the coast of Turkey. And so he's, he's been around the, the, the Middle East there, and he's lived his life following after Jesus, believing in the resurrection. And he's telling you, as an old man, he's looking back and going, believe this because there's life here. There's a richness here to this. This is going to add life to your life. And following Jesus with all your life, for all your life, is the best thing you can do with your life. And it makes sense of the madness, and it can, becomes an anchor in the midst of the storm. Now, I know people have doubts. I know. Like Thomas, right? Perfectly reasonable Thomas. We, we have doubts. And if that's you, if you're like, man, I'm, I don't know. I don't know if I can believe in this Jesus thing. Um, go, go start digging and, and look. There's, there's proof. There's, there's stuff out there. Get involved with a small group here. Take one of the classes that we offer in our A10U classes or uh, you know, keep coming here on a Sunday and, and kind of digging into this thing. Get more proof if you think you need it because um, it's there for you and millions of lives have been changed by Jesus Christ over the last two millennia and you can't wave a hand at that and say all of those people were all delusional. Now you need to realize that coming to Christ means you're going to have to have some faith. And you're going to have to believe some things that you can't quite gather every single little piece of evidence for. And that's just part of it. But if you're ready to go, if you say, man, I'm, I'm in, then get baptized. We, um, we immerse people in water. We don't hold them on there forever. They come back up. Um, 
they go down underwater and they come back up. It's, it's, a, it's a participation in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's the way Paul talks about it in Romans, that we go down under the water, we come back, uh, uh, this born-again kind of idea. We, we immerse people into Jesus. They get baptized. We do this. We're going to do it here on stage in just a couple weeks. And if you haven't made a commitment to follow after Christ, do it. If you were baptized as like a little infant, you know, they sprinkled some water over you or whatever, and you haven't made a decision as an adult, then get baptized and say, hey, I'm in. I'm following after Jesus. I'm in with this faith. I don't know where it's going to take me yet. I don't know all of what, you know, there's all the things I don't even know that I don't know. That's okay, but you can make a faith commitment, repent and walk away from your sin and turn towards Jesus. Do that here. Uh, we've, we've got a great opportunity for that here in the next couple of weeks. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, let me just tell you this, two things and then we're done. Number one, keep digging. Keep digging. There is more depth here. There are small groups to be a part of. There's classes to take. You can give. You can serve. You can become an Area 10 partner like our partnership class today. Uh, you can go on a global trip to Vietnam or any of those things. All of these things are good and helpful and can push you and can to help you grow. None of them are perfect, um, but keep digging in because hard times will eventually come for you, and you want to you wanna be digging now, digging your roots in deep to really draw from the water so that when hard time comes, you're ready to, to stand. Man, I have been a little blown away in the last couple months at this church with the number of people who are just going through hard, hard stuff. Uh, people who, um, you know, their pregnancy is not working out well and, and, and they, you know, they may deliver a stillborn child. Uh, people who want to get pregnant and can't. People who want to be married and can't. People who are married and wish they weren't. Um, like people who are, you know, like people are dealing with cancer or if they've got friends who are dealing with cancer or various diseases and struggles. There is a lot of pain and a lot of hurt just in this room. And as this church grows and more and more people get involved here, there's more and more of that stuff. And it can be um, a little overwhelming. And so I want to challenge you, if, if, if you're not in that kind of pain right now, um, get ready for it by digging your roots deep, growing in Christ, knowing him, because um, I think he's our only hope in this world. No amount of education, money, 401ks, or good, you know, got into a good college, no amount of any of those things will, will protect you when hard times come. But Jesus Christ can and can... And can um, cover you. So number one, keep digging in your faith. And also, if you're a Christian, I want to challenge you with this too. Number two, own your faith. Thomas needed to own his. It wasn't enough that he heard someone else say they saw Jesus risen from the dead. He had to figure it out for himself and like really get this thing uh, on his own. And, and so I would just say to you, don't rely on other people's faith. Some of you, you, you kind of hit college and you go, oh, my parents believe, so I believe. And that's good for a season, but like you need to own it on your own now. It has to be yours. There's others of you in the room who are like, I'm here because my wife brought me. I'm here because my boyfriend brought me. I'm here because someone dragged me into this thing. I'll just hang out and whatever when we go to church. It's whatever. Here's the thing. You're going to stand before God one day, and I'm going to stand before God. And, and when we do, we're going to give an account for our own life, not someone else's. And you're not going to stand before God and be like, I didn't follow you, I didn't trust you, I didn't believe in you, I didn't do any of that, but I did go with somebody who did. And it it was pretty cool. Like, do I get in? Do like, am I, is it like knowing the bouncer? Like, do I get in? Is this how, you know, no, it's, it's you're going to have to give an account for your life. And so if you were here because someone dragged you, I'm glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. But don't stay there. Dig deeper and, and own this thing 
um, own your own faith. So I want us to pray as we're done here. And I just want to give you a quiet moment to pray. I know there's not a lot of quiet in our culture. Take a quiet moment and pray about whatever your next step is that God is calling you to. And then I'll close with a prayer for us all together. Lord, the scripture teaches us to have mercy on those who doubt. And doubt is just a part of the finite existence that we have in this world. Um, God, I pray that we are merciful to everyone who doubts because we all have them and we all struggle at times. But for those of us who are doubting, I pray we take the next steps to reach out and to grow and to learn and that we seek more proof and evidence and answers from you, Lord, but ultimately that we trust you in faith in this relationship. Thank you, God, for your death and resurrection um, that, that Jesus paved the way for us to be with you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.